Welcome to Coffee, Tea or Something Stronger, the podcast for anyone who writes. I'm your host, Claire Lynch, and in this episode, I talk to horror writer Cece Adams. In our chat, Cece talks about how he fleshes out an idea from elevator pitch to final product and how he gets that product out into the market for horror. That's coming right up. Adams, you are a writer of horror and dark fiction. I am, yeah. What attracts you to the genre? <laughs> um, I, I suppose from from the point of view of being someone who actually, as a reader, should we say, rather than an author, is the idea that anything is fair game in, in the story of horror or dark fiction. It's... Um, it's not like a rom-com where you have a happy ever after, or at least a, a happy for now. Every Everyone is fair game in, in a horror story or a story of dark fiction. There's a chance that not everyone will make it out alive. Some people won't make it out alive. Sometimes the monster gets away. So the the idea that anything can happen is, yeah, that is possibly the simplest way of putting it. Anything can happen. So does that give you a certain creative freedom then? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I will say as as this particular author, one of the things I like to play with is the idea of the monster getting away. It's an irony because as a horror writer, I don't watch horror films anymore. They genuinely scare the shit out of me, which is <laughs> which is something that I will forever get ribbed about when I hang with my peers. But... Yeah, the end of the first Halloween film, where Michael Myers is shot, and you would think at that point it's all done and dusted. Uh, The doctor who shot him, played by Donald Pleasance, he goes to the balcony, looks over the balcony, but there's nobody. And even when that film came out, I would have been about maybe around 10 or so years of age at the time, even back then. The idea that after all that the monster gets away. That, that That's always stuck with me. So, yeah, as far as tropes go, that's one of my favourites. What else frightens you? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it frightens me, but it is one of the themes that I love to play with, especially from an author point of view, because if the monster gets away, then what are the implications for our, our protagonist, as it were? As in, well, you think all's done and dusted, but that monster is still out there. As for what frightens me, definitely horror films. <laughs> I don't think I've seen a horror film for the most part since maybe my my early teens. And I suppose what was the the icing on the really macabre cake was walking into my my older brother and his then girlfriend. They're sitting in the dark in the house watching a film called The Flying. So this is a David Cronenberg film, and I don't know how much horror you watch, but David Cronenberg, he's done some impressive work in the realm of horror. He's done Rabid, Scanners, The Fly was notable. So I actually, I'd actually watched The Fly up to a particular point. I was terrified to the point that I nearly passed out. You know there's an expression that um, uh, your legs turn to jelly. And that is exactly how I felt, that... Um, my legs were turned into jelly. And if I didn't have the presence of mind to just run from the room, then I would have passed out. So that is probably the most recent, if you like, horror film that I, I've watched. So is it 
gore that scares you or something mm. darker than that? No, 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 not necessarily, not necessarily gore. And, and from an author point of view, this is the sensibility I have. And, and again, it's those moments of the eerie or the unsettling. And I know creepy is more of a word now, but I always prefer the word eerie. So it's not necessarily gore that scares me, but if, if something is unsettling, disturbing, it's not quite natural, it sits outside the um, the realm of normalcy, then, then those are the kinds of things that, from a film point of view, will, yeah, they'll scare the shit out of me. But from an author point of view, and I suppose from a reader point of view as well, those are the kinds of things I'm going to gravitate to. A lot of your work is set in your native London. It is indeed, yeah, most of it. Can you talk about the city as a source of your ideas? Do you see the potential for horror or eeriness whenever you're out and about in the city? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Should I be worried? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, I, I suppose uh, as someone who is uh, a native Londoner, I am uh, born, born in the city and, and proud of the the diversity in terms of the the cultural makeup, the people in the city, the sights you'll see in the city, the restaurants and the food you'll see in the city. For me, food is a thing. I'm a foodie. But as one of the major cities on the planet, I, I just like to, if you like, celebrate that in the work. And I will gladly add it in as a character. For the stuff that I write, it's not necessarily that London is scary, but I do like to take the everyday and nudge it to somewhere in insidious a, a little off kilter so I, I have stories which are as an example they could be based on a late night tube ride on the london underground um i have a reprint the initial part of the story is actually at the jazz cafe which is in camden uh, i have stories which for example may take place in one location in this particular instance have ended up in the the shard bar so for for the stuff that i see in and around london i i'm all too happy to to bring that into my work and the same way that you might have a character who is for example an an old man in a nursing home who knows more than he lets on or you might have a teen uh, a grown man who was a bully in his youth and that comes back to haunt him the same way that i have characters who are people for me london is also a character as well now I, I just love to add that into the work love to what would you say is the secret to writing something that scares or unsettles people i suppose it's um well at least for me it's what would scare me from a horror point of view, uh, should I say an author point of view, what would I like to see? I, I, I've written stories as an example, which I've not found particularly scary, but I, I've, I'm now thinking of one particular instance which revolves around a box of chocolates, of, of all things. But I've had a number of people tell me that it was creepy, it scared the shit out of them, or they wouldn't look at chocolate the same way. Now, it, it might be hyperbole, I, I, I don't know, but... <laughs> Please tell me how you make a box of chocolate scary. <laughs> um, the dieters around the world want to know. <laughs> I mean, in this particular instance, I, I, I can give away the punchline as well, because the story's been out for, for a while. 
is um, a woman is passed over for promotion at work. It, it goes to another woman. As a, a consolation prize, as it were, there is then a box of chocolates which has been delivered to her. She doesn't know who by. And as she starts to eat these, these chocolates, she realizes that she is aging. And we know that the aging process isn't infinite. At some point, you, you're going to stop aging because you're going to die. So she sees herself aging, but the sad part is that she can't stop herself from eating them. And ultimately, she's aging. And by the time that her neighbor finds her dead in her hallway, and he sees chocolate scattered all over the floor, all thoughts of who's this old woman in, in my neighbor's place, they, they go out the window. And he too sits down and starts eating them. It, again, it could be anything from what scares me to what I think is maybe an off-kilter idea that I just want to try out. I suppose for the simple reason that it's me writing the work, then there are certain um, themes or, or should we say certain flavours that are going to run through my work. And hopefully that's something that the audience gravitates to. So what would you say are the main themes that do run through your work? London as a backdrop is is one of them. Definitely the the idea of something unsettling. I'm aware that for horror, you might have what they call quiet horror. You might have uh, splatterpunk. You might have bizarro, etc., etc. But for the stuff that I write, while there might be some some gore or some visceral, and I think it's fair to say that for for horror, that's something you can expect. The kind of stuff that I write will always err on the side of something eerie, something unsettling, something which is not quite every day. And the, and the closer you look, then it's like falling down the rabbit hole. The The deeper the horror goes and the, the more you see the, the magnitude of it. And something else I add into the work is not necessarily when there's, if you like, the fanfare of where the horror happens, but the aftermath where that particular scenario starts to weigh on the character. And it, I think it's very much a human thing that we can be our own worst enemy when you, have, when you spend too much time in your own head. Now imagine what that's like when you spend too much time in your own head and something horrific has happened. So those are the kinds of themes I like to add into my work. And hopefully that's kind of, if you like, a trademark that brings the audience in. So... You've given the example of the box of chocolates. What's your creative process? I don't necessarily plot in a whole lot of detail, but I cannot write on the fly as in what they call a pantser, someone who writes by the seed of their pants. For me, anything I write, there will always be the elevator pitch in mind at least. There is that much of the basic, the, the spine of the work, as it were, and, and then I can go on and write. Handy for when you're uh, approaching Hollywood for the film. <laughs> <laughs> for, for me, it, it's just good practice. It's the idea that, well, you might have an idea in mind for a story, but can you, can you sum it up? Can you boil it down to the bare bones? And, and, and even, for example, if you're watching um, cable or streaming service... If you want to see what programs are on, what's going to take your fancy, then you are looking for the elevator pitch. You don't want to read page after page after page. What is this about? It's one or two sentences at best. What's it about? And that's the hook. If it draws you in, then it's done its job. And how do you take that elevator pitch and turn it into something bigger? For my part, it is uh, usually three acts. 
this is what the horror is, or rather, this is our protagonist, as it were. This is what's happening in the background. That's act one. Act two may be, this is when worlds collide. And then act three is, this is what they're going to try and do to resolve it. It doesn't mean that they're going to resolve it successfully, but I would say generally that kind of three-act structure I work with, but um, I I think there's a truism in a lot of what's creative. You know the rules before you can break them. Now, that's just how I work in terms of a three-act structure. But, for example, I might do two acts, I might do four acts, and those are the things that I I like to play with. I I like that... um, that sense of, of fluidity. Sounds like structure <clears throat> is important to you. The, 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 the structure is very important. So even when I do the, the elevator pitch and then I'll do a, a synopsis, and the synopsis idea has actually come again from my, my fear of horror films and not watching them any longer. Because it was my, I'm the youngest of three sons, I don't have any sisters. My oldest brother led the charge back when we were small and afroed and you had the advent of your of your VCRs and we watched all those films like Raybeard and Scanners and The Evil Dead, etc, etc. I then get to the point where I can't watch horror films anymore. But I still want to find out what those films are about. So my oldest brother, he would then tell me what the films were about. So there was some storytelling happening and I would still get into that. And then the the older I got, the more I start to um, to gravitate to being an author, as it were. I would see that even if you went to a particular film page on Wikipedia, what you were looking at is that kind of synopsis. And just from reading that alone, I'm thinking, well, this looks like a film that I I enjoy the story. I wouldn't necessarily enjoy the film because the film scared me. We well, already covered that part. But um, the the idea that you could lay out a synopsis like that and it's still entertaining. It's very much something that I, I, I still use in my process now. So there'll be the elevator pitch, which is me putting it on the back burner for when I can actually go back and write it. Then when I can actually go back and write it, then it's fleshed out into maybe a two or three page synopsis. It is not so much detail that I paint myself into a corner, but it is, for me, enough detail that I know, well, from here this happens, from here this happens. And then there's some wiggle room for improv as well. As in, okay, well, you thought about that. Why not try this, etc., etc. So, yeah. Generally, a synopsis with some room to improvise. Hi there, Claire here. Is this episode inspiring you to be a better writer? If so, visit dorisandbertie.com for show notes, past episodes, a wealth of writing tips, and claim your free copy of my ebook, The 200 Writing Tips That Will Get You Writing Like a Pro. And if you're enjoying the show, remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. Back to the interview. You are a member of the Horror Writers Association. I am, yeah. Uh, What benefit do you see of being part of a community of writers? If you pardon the pun, they're people on the same page as you. So they appreciate the the time and effort it takes in not only writing a work, but finishing the work. And then you go from finishing the work to editing the work, and then you go from editing the work to sending the work to publishers. It does mean that from... The point of view of getting your your story tight and 
having an outside pair of eyes to look at it, there is, I'd say, more chance of someone sharing those same sensibilities that you have so they appreciate what you're trying to do in the work. Um, so are we talking about getting feedback here? Then? Yes, it's critical feedback, or rather, should I say con- constructive feedback. It's not just, no, I didn't like the story, or the story was great. Tell me what doesn't work. At the same time, tells me tell me what does work. If something works, let me know so I can keep doing it. And hopefully, if I don't have it already, I can then concoct that formula that I can take forward, that I can improv on, and uh, and again continue to engage the audience. For an organisation like the like the HWA, the Horror Writers Association, I think what they will do. And, and I had this conversation with um, a writer by the name of Phil Sloman some months ago, is for the elder statesman in the organisation, for example, Ramsey Campbell, who is a, a UK horror writer who's been around for some years now, the HWA for the newer writers like myself, like, uh, like Phil Sloman and, and, and all of those, they will give us a stage because they recognize that it is not only the, if you like, the elder statesman, but it is also the the newer bloods, as it were, who will continue to push the genre forward and, and, and keep horror elevated. So another aspect to it is, yes, you write, but what are you doing in terms of pushing your work to get it out there? So from the point of indie publishing, there are publishers who may like your work, but they will concede to you. They cannot do all of the heavy lifting. There is a degree of promotion that they will do in terms of your your cover art, and um, they will do, if you like, blog tours, or they'll get you um, a Q&A session with a uh, particular review or whatever. But what do you as the author do? Are you regularly updating your site with content? Are you active on social media? Do you go to the conventions, etc., etc.? So it is very much, what do you bring to the table and how are you pushing your work? So I think, at least from the point of view of the HWA, it's one thing if there are writers who write and can actually produce work. Another aspect is, what are you doing to promote your work? This is how you give back to to the organizations that you're a part of because as such they want to promote the people who are promoting themselves and getting the work out there and and producing quality work which happens in this case to be horror and the real irony is that for some of the most insidious and basically the most messed up things you can think of the genre has some of the nicest the most supportive people it it, it is unreal really it is what advice would you give to someone who wanted to get into writing horror fiction? The first advice I would give is it is to write. It, it is as simple and as mundane as that. I'm sure there are countless people who have an idea. I have a, this great idea for a book and it's going to be about this. Okay, have you written it? And even if you are writing it, and this is, if you like, the first hurdle, can you finish it? It is as cut and dried as that. Can you start work? Good. Can you finish work? And the same way that when publishers have uh, open submission calls, which is you can send them a manuscript without having an agent, they will often say, we only want finished work. 
It, it is as simple as that. First and foremost, write your work, finish your work. And then your, your, your next level of game is once you've written your work, get into the habit of letting other people see it. Because ultimately, if you want to be an author or if you are an author, people are going to be reading your work. They won't necessarily like it. And this is something else I always say to any and everybody, whether they're new authors or not. It doesn't matter how good you are at your chosen game, whether it's sports, whether it's music, whether it's sculpture or whatever. There will always be those who simply don't like what you do. Having said that, your audience will love you for it. How can a writer deal with the negative criticism <laughs> or rejection? Um, I suppose the first time you get it, it might be a bitter pill to swallow. But I suppose it's like a lot of things. It comes with... Uh, patience and, and persistence and practice. So the same way that the more you write, the more uh, proficient you get in the art of storytelling, the, um, the the sense of pace, which is important, the sense of of setting the scene, the the sense of suspense, of, of conflict, etc. Then the more you are sending manuscript, your, your stories to publishers, and so forbid you get rejected, then you get into a habit of, okay, fine, you rejected it next next and next and so on so like the first time i'd actually uh written a story i think it was a hundred words and that was it uh eventually accepted which, which was nice i could remember what was happening with that one particular submission because it was one story but as i often say now supermarkets they don't stay in business because they sell one pint of milk or one loaf of bread or one frozen pizza. They have shelves of loaves of bread or pints of milk or frozen pizza. So the more product that you actually get into the marketplaces, or the more stories you get out there, the more business you generate. So ideal scenario, fine. You've written a, you've written a good story. So what? Where's your next one? If people like your work, they're not going to stick with just one. They want more. And as an author, your job is to write, which is the bottom line. So you write. Or maybe act on constructive criticism. I think from an author point of view, there is a line to walk between the constructive criticism that you can use to make your, your story tighter. And on the other side, the constructive criticism which doesn't fit your vision of the story. So this is something else that you will do as an author, that you will, out of all this criticism, I agree with this, I agree with this, well, this, well, maybe that, no, that, no, no, and yes. Ah, oh, I didn't see that. And again, the more you write, the more you develop that that critical eye in terms of this is what will work. This doesn't fit my vision. Just because a publisher rejects your work, even if they say why, it doesn't necessarily mean that your work isn't any good. But then as part of writing, what will arguably help you is to have people who will beta read your work and give that constructive criticism in the first instance before you send it to a publisher. If I wanted to be part of the community, mm -hmm. what would I do? Who do I join? Where do I go? So you have Edgelit, which is a day-long convention in Derby in the middle of July. Edgelit will now be over a full weekend, like the Saturday and the Sunday. Even for the HWA, the Horror Writers Association, you don't necessarily have to be a member, but every so often they will do a pub meet where the like-minded can just walk in and catch up and, and talk shop, and there's usually some hijinks and 
But the idea of getting out and actually meeting people beyond just you writing your work or even beyond a few emails engaging with someone on social media. I, I just think it, it's a truism of of any business, whether it's writing, whether it's finance, um, or, or whatever the case might be. It's always good practice to meet the people you do business with. For everything under the relatively wide umbrella of fantasy, whether it's sci-fi, whether it's fantasy, whether it's horror, and again, it brings together all the like-minded, the authors, the publishers, the editors, etc. And no matter how introvert they may be, when when you get together with the like-minded, again, there's that sense of camaraderie or even family. And it's a great thing to be a part of. So I, I would suggest that for, for any author who is looking to ultimately push themselves and or their work, there is, for horror fiction, there's a great sense of community. Where can people get in touch with you if they want to... Uh... <laughs> Find out more about you and your work. The website is my own little corner of the web, which is www.ccadams.com. I'm searchable on on Facebook. Twitter is maybe where I'm a little more active, which is um, Mr. Adams Writes, which is my Twitter handle. What what I like about Twitter is the idea that you don't necessarily have to write, um, if you like, pages of content. It's more like, kind of like an elevator pitch. It's maybe a sentence or two that hooks people's attention and maybe a visual as well or a link to some more content like a video or whatever the case might be. Before I let you go, mm-hmm. um, let me subject you to a quick fire round, if that's all right. Yeah, sure, fire away. Uh, this is all about your own habits and processes yep. as a writer. Yeah. So first of all, what fuels your writing, copy tea or something stronger? Um, I'm usually chewing a, a piece of gum when I write. It it relaxes me. There isn't necessarily any any beverage I have when I'm in the writing process. Um, I, I got a, um, a gift, I think maybe last, last year when I, I got to Toronto every summer, I got a gift from my friends, Terry and Matt, who, who I, I love them to bits. Um, it's a whiskey glass, which is engraved with three words, get shit done. And every once in a while, I will fill it up with some Jack Daniels and I'll dash some coke in on top and I'll, I'll sit there and I'll sip from my glass and then afterwards I will go and get shit done. I don't necessarily drink anything when I'm in the process of writing, but that is more like, here's to what's to come. <laughs> uh, it's like a, a toast to what's to come, as it were. So, yeah. When do you like to write? Are you a lark or an owl? Ideally, I'd be a lark that turns into an owl. I like to start early and just write through. So this is what ideally the weekend will be like. So I may start writing early, but there there are some people who can write with background background noise and such. For my part, it's not enough for me to have quiet. I need solitude as well. So generally, I will end up writing at night when the uh, the rest of the house and the rest of the neighborhood has gone to bed and, and outside is all dark and quiet and then I can settle into the zone. The flip side of that is because it's quieter, then my own demons and imagination start to creep up on me and start to mess with me and, and whisper and do all kinds of insidious things. But I will ideally start during the day and work through into the night. And the night is where I really settle into the zone. We've touched on your process mm-hmm. 
a little bit, but are you a planner or a plunger? Important for me that there is a skeletal framework, but there has to be some wiggle room for improv. Would you describe your desk as clear or cluttered? Oh, it's cluttered. It's cluttered. Um, there's a, a tub of Wrigley's Extra. There are a couple of packs of Smints. And there are maybe some old receipts from Sainsbury's and some USB flash drives. And um, But where the actual keyboard is, oh, that's pristine. That's pristine. Um, not, nothing comes near the keyboard except my fingers. Music <laughs> or silence? Silence, definitely. The exception, as it were, is more before I write. There are certain uh, pieces of music that I would want to listen to to get into the zone. Um, For example? Yep, the the theme from Phantasm is the one that I used to go with. Uh, the, The haunting piano theme, which I love. The piano theme from the original Evil Dead film, which is... which is beautiful. Yeah, that, that's the kind of stuff I gravitate to. And again, I don't necessarily listen to it when I write, but I do listen to it when I want to get into the zone and I want to, rather than focus on on gore and spectacle, I want to emphasise the nuance and the pacing and the sense of the eerie and the off-kilter. So those are the kinds of pieces of music I will listen to that will get me to that point. They all get me to that place. Who's your favourite writer? Oh, that is that is such a question. Um, I mean, from from the point of view of how my, if you like, my author process had had began, my my go to I would have said was Michael Crichton, and, and what I like about Crichton's work is how meticulous he was with a scientific rationale. And how he layered that into a work which is which is very kinetic. It, there's uh, there, there's a lot of action, not necessarily like um, like bombs and people running, but there, there is stuff happening. Um, there's also a sense of, for me, very well realized characters and a sense of intrigue and suspense. I suppose the first takeaway that I had as an author was this is the level of. Not necessarily knowledge, but this is the level of research that you can do to bring a particular discipline into your work, whether it's um, whether it's the study of fossils and the study of dinosaurs, or whether it's the study of quantum physics, or whether it's the study of finance or employment law, or, or whatever the case may be, and to blend that into a work of fiction. Because ultimately, when when you're producing a work of fiction, which is going which is going to reference one of those disciplines, as it were, there will gladly be someone out there who, who will say, this is good or this is completely off base. And and as such, for me, it's kind of a challenge to make sure that I not only get the content right, but interpret it right into something which is halfway credible, which is to take the everyday and nudge it to someplace, someplace dark, someplace insidious, someplace... Uh, maybe even sinister, a little malicious. That that blending of those disciplines is the probably the biggest takeaway I have from Crichton. Finally, your best writing tip. Write your work, finish your work. Doesn't mean anything if you don't finish your work. Are you writing your work, yes or no? Write your work and finish it. CC Adams, <laughs> on that note. Yep. 
Thank you so much. It's been interesting and entertaining. It has, yeah. Thank you. It has been good. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you listen. Um, If you think the show deserves to continue, please, please, please leave a review while you're there. It'll really help get the show noticed. As ever, visit dorisandbertie.com for free tips and advice on writing and the writing life. Bye till the next episode.